Mark chapter 2, first 12 verses. Hope you're there in your Bible. If you are, you follow along. Here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father in heaven, uh, indeed we echo what the people said. We, there is nothing like you. Uh, there is no one like Jesus. We've never seen anyone who can do the things that Jesus did. We've never seen anyone with the character, the majesty, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today we give you our worship, we give you our praise. Jesus, you're our king, you're our only hope. Jesus, we we come to you for all that we need this morning. And I pray, Father, that our faith would have visible, visible actions, Lord, that that would would be a reflection of what's in our hearts. Father, we ask that you'd work in us today. Draw us to yourself, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Verse 1 of our text in chapter 2 tells us that Jesus had returned back to Capernaum. Okay, that's where all this happens that we're going to talk about today is a city called Capernaum. Capernaum was a pretty significant city in the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, if you look through your Bible, you're going to see that a majority of the miracles of the just outstanding, incredible, awesome things that Jesus did happened in the city of Capernaum. Okay, so so that's kind of a significant thing. In fact, Jesus even talks about Capernaum in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, He talks about him in verse 23, and here's what he says. This is kind of a warning to us, I think. In verse 23, he says, You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Here's the truth about Capernaum. Every time Jesus ministered there, flocks of people, okay? I mean, everything was full. Packed out houses, packed out wherever he was. Lots of people coming to him, pressing in on him, wanting to be healed, wanting to be to be uh, ministered to and cared for by the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the scary thing. Big crowds don't always mean genuine faith, okay? Uh, and that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 11. Even though there was lots of crowds, lots of people coming, lots of people interested, you know, even though they saw all kinds of things, there wasn't a lot of genuine faith in Capernaum. That's what makes the passage this morning really interesting because we do see genuine faith here in, in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 
Again, this is the second time he's come here. Uh, he was here in chapter 1. He was in Capernaum, and that's where he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Peter and Andrew, by the way, are from the city of Capernaum. Uh, in, in verse 32, 33, 34, 35 of chapter 1, you're going to read how at evening time, they brought all the sick people, all the demons. They all flocked to the house. They crowd around Jesus. Jesus was up late all, all that evening ministering to people. And then here, here's just a, you get two sermons for one today. Here's your first sermon. This is just real quick. Jesus knows how to refresh his soul, okay? I picture him being up till midnight, one, two, three in the morning, just caring for people after people, all these people pressing in on him. In verse 35 of chapter one, Jesus says he rose early in the morning, or the Bible says Jesus rose early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went into a desolate place and there he prayed. You know, some of you may be feeling burned out. You know, you ever feel like you're just giving, 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 investing, investing, investing. You just feel like, man, I have expended myself and I'm just, I'm just tapped out. You ever feel that way? Well, let me tell you, the way to be refreshed in your soul, and here's a mistake a lot of Americans make, is not the TV, okay? The glow of the TV does not give you strength, you know, no matter what anybody might say. The glow of the computer, Facebook, Xbox, video games, ice cream. There's lots of things that we could say we turn to to get refreshed of soul. But here's a great implication in Mark 1 35 after Jesus poured into everybody else you know what he did he got by himself with his father and he got strength the Bible says that they found him the next morning he had a mission he goes into all of Galilee preaching and teaching and then he comes back to Capernaum and that's where we find our text today chapter 2 verse 1 he returns to Capernaum exact same thing happens that has happened before Capernaum everybody swamps him Okay. He's at Peter's house. We believe it's probably Peter's house. That's just a, a good educated guess. It doesn't say it specifically, but we know that he spent time. That's where he was there before. And so they swamp him. They fill up the house. They fill up the, the, the outside, the windows, the doors. Everything's cram-packed, wanting to get near Jesus. And that's when five guys, five very important guys in this story enter into our stage, okay? These are four guys carrying a friend, relative, somebody that they love who's paralyzed, okay? I wish we knew more about the circumstances. I always, you know, more details would be really cool here. Like, here's what I'm interested in. How far did they have to carry him, okay? They hear hear that Jesus is in town. They want to get their friend to Jesus. They want to get near to Christ. And so he's on a pallet. He's on some sort of bed. Four guys, you know, two on front two on the back they carry the bed who knows i mean was it just around the corner that's interesting to me was it a couple blocks was it a couple miles you know was it how 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 far did they have to go you know and here's another interesting thing how big was the paralyzed guy you know i mean that's a factor as well you know was he a little bitty guy we talking about 110 pounds here are we talking about he had fred martin on the gurney there you know i mean that's I tell you what, your faith is measured, you know, and, you know, I mean, how, you know, what, what's, what's, you know, is this a great, you know, six foot three, four, five guy? I mean, you know what? What happened here? We don't know any of those things, but we know this, that these guys love their friend enough to get him to Jesus, okay? So they, the, whatever they had to go through, they walked him there, they carried him there, they got him there, they get to the house, there's no room, they can't get in the house, they can't get around the house, and so they go on top of the house, okay? Many buildings in Jesus' day were built that way, houses were built that they had a flat roof, they usually had an outside staircase to get on there. A lot of buildings are that way in Guatemala still, by the way, in the city, in the San Cristobal, uh, everybody does their laundry on the roof, it's kind of a cool 
sight when you look out, you know, everybody's got their clothes hanging out on, on the roof. And that's kind of the way it was in Jesus' day. The guys get up on the roof. Now, again, you, you, can't, you still can't get to Jesus because there's a roof there. So they dig out the roof. They disassemble the roof. And then they lower the guy. It's not enough just to have a hole there right above Jesus. They lower the guy down into the house right in front of Jesus. Now, here's the question we want to begin with. What's Jesus think of that? Okay, what does he think about having a preaching service and someone comes through the roof? You know, how, how does how does what does Jesus think about that? You know, the Bible says he was preaching. Notice that in verse uh, two, it says, and he was preaching the word to them. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm pretty good at, at distractions when I preach. I mean, you may, you may say different, but I, I think you know, we've had all kinds of things happen in our services. And I think I can just keep going, you know, but here's here's the truth. A lot of listeners aren't as good because you guys aren't doing something. You know, I got my mind occupied, you know, but but if you could see it from the front, this is a really cool thing. Like if there's a noise, you know, you guys think that you're the only one that glances over to see what it is. It looks like a tennis match is what it looks like. It's like, here we go. Then you you always got those folks. You always got those folks. Not in this service. There's none. But you always got those folks who 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 think that nobody can hear them. You know. You you know what I'm saying? And they'll talk. You know. They'll be like. You know. I I know there had to be some of those folks there in in the house, don't you? You know. I mean, footsteps on the roof. You know, there would break loose. You know, honey, I think there's somebody on the roof. There's somebody on the roof. You know, there's somebody on the roof. Oh no, there's a little dust. You know. And man, as those tiles started going, you had to know there was some panickers, don't you? You know, there had to be some screeches, ducking for cover. You know, getting out. But I mean, it had to be. It just well, someone's coming through the roof. It's got to be pandemonium, doesn't it? I mean, packed house, all right? So what does Jesus think of that? You know, he's trying to preach, and man, he's just got pandemonium in in the service there. Well, I'll tell you exactly what Jesus thinks of it. It's in verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. All right, you know what Jesus calls that distraction? He calls it faith. That's interesting to me. It's interesting on a couple of levels. First of all, everything in the Christian life is driven by faith, right? So faith is really important to us as, as believers because, first of all, you can't get to God without faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, okay? Paul said we walk by faith, we live by faith, okay? We're connected to God by faith, through faith, okay? So faith is incredibly important. What is faith? Faith is, faith is something that happens on the inside of a person, okay? It, it, is, it is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That's what faith is, okay? But it's not just mental assent. Please don't make that misunderstanding that all faith is is saying, yep, I believe it. You know, I believe Jesus was all that. No, 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 no. It is believing that he is all that he says he is and that he'll do all that he says he'll do and then putting your trust in him, putting your personal dependence upon him to do what you need, okay? That's what faith is. Faith is, is believing he's all that he says that he is and then trusting him, depending on him, following him, looking to him to be all that you need him to be. It is putting your eggs in, in his basket saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you. Everything I've got's in you. I'm depending on you. I'm looking to you. That's what faith is. Okay. It's confidence, trust, dependence upon God. And so verse five says, Jesus saw their faith. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Jesus saw their faith. Cause what did I just tell you? I just told you that faith is something that happens on the inside of a person, right? And, and, and so can you, can you see when someone has faith, you know? When someone's first born again, you know, do they, something happened to them, 
You know, and I know you could probably sit in their life, but I'm saying, you know, physically, can you, is there a light that comes on? You know, Haven likes this little show, this little pony show. And these little ponies have these little uh, cutie mark things. They all got these like powers or something. I don't, I don't actually know what the world's going on. But anyway, you know, but, but anyway, I know that like whenever they like do their thing, like this one has this rope, he's really good, you know, they light up, like they glow. You know, is that the way it is in the Christian life? You know, you know, can, can you, you're watching your family and someone's having faith and boom. You know, they start glowing, you know, and hey, I saw their faith, you know. I, that's not what Jesus is talking about. There's nothing that happens to a person, you know, outwardly when, when they have faith. So, so what does Jesus mean when he says he saw their faith? Well, I'll tell you what he means. What he means is, is that genuine faith results in a certain type of action, a certain type of life, a certain type of living out of that faith. In fact, what the Bible would say in the book of James is that genuine faith always is visible in, in certain types of works, okay? James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's useless. So genuine faith always has a manifestation of itself in real works. All right, now, now because of that, here's what I want to do. I want to look at this passage. I want to look at these five guys. And I want to say, okay, Jesus clearly says these guys have faith. He can see that by their actions. And so let, let's do this. Let's pick apart their actions and let's pull from that some truths about here's what faith's going to look like in our lives, okay? Now, we're not going to say it looks like taking roofs off and things like that because that was specific to their situation. But what's behind that? I've got three things that I think you'll agree are behind their actions, okay? Here's number one. Number one, I believe faith, will, 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 what it will look like is a single-minded pursuit of Jesus, okay? It, faith, faith is this. I want Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. This is a single-minded focus upon the person of Jesus Christ. Please notice here, what are they wanting? They're wanting not, not simply, I, I want to be in the service. Not simply, give me the medicine for this guy. Not simply, give me the treatment plan. What they want is to be near Jesus. We get that very specifically from verse 4. And when they could not get near him. See, that's their goal. Their goal is, I want to get near Jesus. It's the person of Jesus Christ that drives these guys. It's not religion. It's not, it's not you know, getting someplace where they can puff up themselves. It is they simply want to be near Jesus. You know, isn't it interesting that it wasn't enough to tear a hole in the roof? Okay? If you tear a hole in the roof, well, you're right above Jesus. You're, you're, you're close enough, you ought to be anyway, to peek through and say, Hey, Jesus, we got a friend here that needs healing, you know? No, 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 no. They... It's, it's not enough until they drop the guy right in front of him, you know? I mean, their goal is we got to get as close to Jesus as possible. That is our focus. We're driven toward that. Number two, okay? So number one, a single-minded focus on Jesus. Number two, a relentless persistence to get to Jesus. I love, I love the picture here. Can't get in the door. What about the window? Can't get in the window. What about the roof? No hole in the roof. We'll make a hole. Okay, I mean, I mean, nothing is stopping these guys. There's no obstacles that get in front of them that that cause them to bail out. Okay, and and what we see here is that faith manifests itself in relentless persistence. It does. It doesn't. He doesn't get deterred when there's an obstacle put in our way. So when a person has faith, they're going to get to Jesus, and it doesn't matter what's in their way. They've got a whatever it takes attitude. I love that. I love a whatever-it-takes attitude among a church. Man, man, churches will do great things when they say, you know what, we're going to reach our community, whatever it takes. You know what, we're going to reach our young people, whatever it takes. You know what, if we've got to change, if we've got to do something different, if we've we got to change our methods, if we got to, whatever it takes, whatever we've got to do, we're going to get close to Jesus. We're going to bring people to Jesus. That's the attitude that they have, no matter the cost. So number one, 
Single-minded focus on Jesus, okay? We got to get to Jesus. Number two, a relentless persistence to get there. And number three, an immediacy, okay? An urgency. And isn't it interesting that, that, that you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't say this. Here, here's what I, I think I, a lot of people would have been tempted to say. Well, we tried. You know what? We tried. It's not going to work tonight, buddy. You know, man, we love you. Hey, we did our best. We carried you here, you know, but we, we, we've tried to get in. It's just all full. You know what? Let's come back tomorrow night. Maybe he'll be here tomorrow night, you know, or, or maybe in the morning. Hey, after we eat breakfast, we'll go ahead and take off work and we'll, we'll bring you back in the morning. But man, it's getting late and we got to walk all the way back. So let's just go ahead and go. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that have been the thing that many people would have done? Or maybe even just say, hey, we're going to wait outside here until the service is over. You know, sooner or later, he's going to quit preaching. Sooner or later, people are going to leave. And then we'll try to catch him then. I mean, all of those things are very plausible, aren't they? All those things are very, 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 seem to be very reasonable explanations. But here's the deal. These guys say, look, our friend needs one thing. He needs Jesus. And Jesus is there. And now's our opportunity. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get this guy to Jesus. There's an immediacy. There's an urgency. And so here's how I would wrap up. I'm going to wrap up those three, okay? Single-minded focus on Jesus, uh, an urgency, an immediacy, a relentless pursuit to get there. I, I would wrap up those three by simply saying this. Faith drives a person to pursue Christ, okay? Agree? Are we okay there? Faith drives a person to pursue Christ. Okay? And, and I think that's true in, in, in any area of faith. Okay? You've got people who, who are just coming to faith in Jesus. I think once they put their faith in Christ, they're driven to pursue Him. They're driven to pursue Him. Yeah, I, I think they're going to they're gonna come. They're going to they're gonna make a decision. They're going to they're, they're gonna profess Him. They're going to be baptized. They're, they're going to do whatever it takes to follow Christ. I believe believers, okay? As believers, man, there's a thousand ways that this manifests itself in everyday life. Why? Because we're people of faith, aren't we? And, and if people of faith are, are, are people who are driven to pursue Jesus, man, that's going to that's gonna look in all kinds of ways, isn't it? So how, how are we going to... Let, let's give some examples, okay? Here, here's example number one. This is very close to our text. I think faith for me as a Christian is going to mean that I am relentlessly pursuing and urgently pursuing Jesus for my friends and family. Now, what's that going to look like? Well, that's going to look like me seizing every opportunity to try to get my friends to Jesus, to try to point my, point my friends to Jesus. You know, you know what, I, what I don't understand? I don't understand when, when people say, you know what, I, I, really, I really wanted to share my faith with my buddy, but I just haven't had the opportunity. You ever heard anybody say that? And a lot of times you'll follow up some follow-up questions. Well, how long have you known your buddy? Oh, man, we went to grade school together, you know? Well, you know, do you see him often? Oh, every day we work together, you know? We're riding a truck together, you know, and I'm thinking, well, how long ago have you known? Well, 25 years, you know. Hey, what exactly are you waiting for? You know, what, what, when is the opera? I mean, see, you see, there's something wrong with that, okay? That scenario is a lot stranger if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That scenario is strange, not the tearing off the roof one, okay? That one's weird. That one where you're with him every day, you see him every week, you see him every month, then you've never taken the opportunity to try to point him to Christ. That thing is strange, not the tearing off the roof thing. How else do we, uh, as Christians, how else do we, we, are we driven to pursue Christ? Okay, so if I'm a believer, and if I believe, if I put my trust in Jesus, what that means is I'm going to be pursuing him. How do I pursue him? Things like church, okay, right? Things like Christ in a relationship, things like small group. Things like gathering in a Bible study, gathering in accountability. I mean, those would all be things, right, that, that are my expression of I want to be close to Jesus. I, I, I want to be close to him. So I'm going to come worship. I'm going to gather with people. I'm going to go to a small group. I, I mean, 
But have you noticed, have you noticed what keeps people from those things? You know, I, I've talked to people before. You know, hey, man, I would love to have you come. And, you know, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. We, man, we'd love to have you come worship with us. Do you have a place you worship? Oh, no, I don't go to church. Well, how come you don't go to church? Well, there's a hypocrite there, you know. And, and, and I'm just thinking, really, that's the obstacle. I mean, it, it just, all it takes is that, and you're out, man. You know, I mean, brick wall. You can't go no further. You're, you, you can't get over that. Man, if you applied that to the rest of your life, that person would die of starvation, you know, because they could never get to the grocery store, you know. I mean, they'd pull up and, oh, there's hypocrites here, you know. Yeah, let's go home, kids. We're not eating today, you know. They'd drive to another one. Oh, this one's too big, you know. They'd drive to another one. Oh, this one, you know, it's got the wrong color on the sign, you know. I mean, and they would literally starve to death, you know. But we don't apply that to other things in life. So why would it be applied to faith when really the manifestation of faith is a relentless pursuit of Jesus? And and I mean, you ought to just go, 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 overcome the obstacles. One of the ways, obviously, that we get close to Jesus as Christians today is, is the Bible, right? The Word of God, prayer, you know, those spiritual disciplines. Could we just call them that? Spiritual disciplines, And so think about this, okay? If faith is manifested in a relentless pursuit to get to Jesus, a single-mindedness to get there, to get close to him, to know him, to experience him with an urgency, well, let me ask you, what, what does it take to deter you from your Bible reading? How big is the obstacle gotta be? Let's go ahead and get a spectrum here, okay? That helps me just kind of, you know, draw a line out here on the stage. And let's say on this side, we've got like catastrophic events, okay? So let's, let's put it right over here. A catastrophic event. World War Three. okay? The Chinese, finally we owe them so much money, they're tired of us and they're going to come, you know? And so they, they, they bomb Oklahoma City. It's just leveled, you know? There's radiation in the air. You know, they're coming over in droves. You know, you guys are all getting your guns out, you know? And, and, and getting, we're getting ready. We're forming a militia, whatever, okay? That's a pretty big catastrophic event, okay? Could that knock you out of your Bible reading for that morning? Maybe, okay? Maybe that's what it would take. You, you'd just slip your mind. Hopefully it wouldn't. Hopefully it'd drive you in your Bible. But maybe. Maybe, maybe that's what, what it would take to knock you out of your quiet time. So you got catastrophic events over here. Okay, now we got all kinds of other things in between. Until all the way on this end of the spectrum, we've got something like Letterman was funny. And so I, I, I stayed up and I watched him and I got to laughing. And he was making fun of the political candidates. And so it was just a hoot. And I stayed up and then I texted my friend. And man, I was up till 1130. And I just couldn't get up the next morning to read my Bible. Okay, so there's your spectrum. Now let me ask you this. On that spectrum, where are you? Where, what does it take to knock you out of Bible reading? What does it take to knock you out of your prayer time? What does it take to knock you out of your time to pursue Jesus? You know, and, and as we look at these guys, these guys demonstrated their faith by having the kind of faith that says, man, I don't care what obstacle is there. I don't care what difficulty is there. I'm going through it. I'm going over it. We're digging out of it, but we're going to get to Jesus. And Jesus says, man, look at their faith. Look at their faith. Again, faith is not going to church. Faith is not tearing a roof off. Faith is not going to... No, no, faith is an inward conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do that puts their trust and dependence upon Jesus Christ, okay? But faith is manifested in real works, okay? Genuine works, just like we see here. So what does Jesus say? Okay, so he sees their faith. So first of all, they've got faith. 
Now, now what does Jesus say about their faith? Okay. Verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here, here's an, an interesting thing about that is that nothing's been said about sin so far. Okay. Why are, why is this guy here? Why, why did they carry him here? Well, we've got to assume from the context is because his legs do not work. Okay. It's because he can't get up and walk. He can't get up and run. He can't get up and crawl. He can't work. Okay. He can't support himself. He can't make a living. This guy's got a serious problem. It may be a disease that's causing other problems in his life. He may have some kind of paralysis, even maybe from the neck down or the waist down, but he's got a serious physical issue. And that's why he brought him here. And isn't it strange that as he brings him, Jesus delights in their faith. And then he completely doesn't, doesn't address the physical problem, but he goes straight to the spiritual problem and says, son, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Now, what do we learn there? A couple of things. Well, one just kind of cool thing, I think. Isn't it cool how sometimes Jesus uses physical struggles in our life to bring us to him to deal with our spiritual struggles? A lot of you could probably say, I was brought to Jesus through a difficult time in my life. Okay, that's kind of cool. But second of all, second of all, I, I, I think what we see here is, is that the big thing, okay, the big thing in our lives is, is not our physical problems, though I'm not making light of those. Please don't hear me say that I'm, I'm making light of folks that have struggles and fit. No, no, those, those are real issues. But what Jesus would say is above that yet, our biggest problem in life is we're sinners. Okay. That's our, if that thing's not solved, look, if you, if you go to hell healthy, that doesn't do you a lot of good. Okay. I mean, healthy people in hell are, are, are just as tormented and miserable and hopeless and, 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 and without, without any ray of, 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 of relief as folks that are really sick. Okay. And so our biggest problem in life is our sin. In fact, I would say this, the consequences to our sin will bring more misery in our life than any other thing. You know, we always like to blame everything on everybody else, but really here's the truth. The biggest enemy of my joy is my own sin. Isn't that right? It's not what other people have done or what my circle. I mean, the biggest thing that I've got to deal with is my own sin, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, my own self-destructive nature. That's got to be dealt with. And so it's really cool that as they bring this guy to Jesus and, and his faith is, is clearly seen, Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the question that's asked next is, does Jesus have the right to do that? Okay, look at verse six and seven. Now that some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay. Now it's actually, let's, 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 let's give him some credit. It's actually probably a good question. I mean, can Jesus legitimately do that? Um, you know, can, can Jesus take a person who's ignored God, just like all of us have ignored him, by the way, who's treated God like an annoying uncle that we just want to avoid and not have to talk to. I mean, we've all treated God that way. We've all pulled ourselves, distanced ourselves from God. We've all disobeyed his word. We've all not sought him. We've all ignored his commands. We've broken his commands. We've cut other people down. We've cursed other people. We've lashed out at them. We've been prideful and arrogant and idolatrous. And does Jesus have the right to simply forgive all those sins? Does Jesus have the right to simply say, none of those are on your record, your record is pure. You are clean before God. You are righteous before him. You are connected to him. You're in his family. Does Jesus have the right to do that? I don't have the right to do that. I can't tell you your sins are forgiven. I can't, you can't come to me and tell you how you, tell me how you griped out your wife and you got in this big battle and, and now you've come to me and can I forgive you of all that? Man, dude, I can say it, but you're going to go home to a mess. Okay. Cause I can't do that. So can Jesus do that? And that's, that's a good question. You, you know what's also interesting? I have a bunch of sidelines here. Sorry, I don't know how to work them all in. But, but in verse 6, some of the scribes were, two words here, sitting there. You see those two words? 
sitting there. Where are they at? They're front row. They got front row seats. You know what's interesting? You got five guys that are willing to tear a roof on to get in to be near Jesus. You got a whole row of guys that are right near him. All they care about is criticizing him. I heard a preacher say one time from this text, two groups of people. There's one group of people desperately trying to get their friends to Jesus. There's another group of people that are just in the way. And sometimes those are religious people. These guys were. These were the scribes. These were the Bible knower guys. Sometimes that's true, isn't it? Man, I tell you what, I want to make sure I'm on the right team there, don't you? I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be in the way. All right. There was my sideline there. Okay. So here's the question though. Can, can, can Jesus, can Jesus forgive sins? Well, to answer that question, I'm so glad, you know, Jesus could have just said, yes, I can. He could have said that, but, but he did something so much better. Okay. He asked this question. Okay. He asked the question, which is, this is verse nine, which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, first of all, it's kind of a trick question because both those are impossible for us. Okay. That's like asking me, Jason, which is easier for you to dunk a basketball or high jump 10 feet? Well, does it really matter? I can't do either. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like, which is e- What do you mean easier? I can't do any of either of those. Okay. I can't even come close to doing either of those. You can't forgive sins and you can't tell a paralytic to walk. Okay. So Jesus asked that question. I'll give you my opinion. I think it's actually harder to forgive sins, but here's what's clear. Here's what's clear. It's a whole lot easier to say you're forgiven. Okay, so let, let's say we had a paralyzed guy in here, and let's say we had a sinner in here, okay? Now, I could go up to the sinner and say, brother, your sins are forgiven. Come here. Come up on here. Your sins are forgiven. You're right with God. He could be jumping up and down. Well, is he? Well, none of us would know, right? Because we can't see that. Now, if we had a paralyzed person here, and I said, come on, brother, let's walk. Now, you, you'd know, wouldn't you? He's either going to get up or he's not. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus takes the visible thing, okay? He takes the visible thing. He, he takes the outward transformation. And, and, and he transforms this guy outwardly for the purpose, here's the purpose, so that you would know he can do the inward thing. Does that make sense? You see, if he can't do the outward thing, that really, that really rocks my confidence that my sins are forgiven. I mean, if, if I read my Bible and it says that Jesus tells me if I come to him in repentance and faith, that he'll forgive my sins. But I also read a story about a paralytic where Jesus said, brother, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy goes, you know, or he kind of rolls off his little bed and crashes on the floor, you know. Okay, if that's what happened and Jesus is kind of left scratching his head saying, man, I thought that'd work, you know. I'd not have very much confidence that my sins are forgiven, okay? But because the Jesus of the Bible, when he tells the paralytic to walk, the guy gets up and skips out. When he tells the blind man to see, the guy goes out and he can see. When he tells the deaf man to hear, the guy can hear. When he tells the dead man to raise, the guy walks out of the tomb. All of those are visible signs so that you would know, not only can Jesus do that, but he can also forgive your sins. That's the point. That's the point. The point was, was the forgiveness of sins is certain because we know that Jesus can do what he says he can do. Remember what, remember what faith is? Believe in Jesus is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And he gave us great proof here. 
Great proof that Jesus can do what he says he can do. You know, a lot of folks struggle with the forgiveness of sins. You know, maybe they wouldn't voice it that way. But man, I know I have talked to people all the time who struggle with, am I, am, I really, am I really forgiven? Does God really love me? Am I really righteous? Is he really for me? Am I really his child? And a lot of people struggle with this, this whole kind of bringing their past back in. And man, I, I just don't feel clean. I don't feel worthy. I don't. No, you're not. You're not any of those things. But if Jesus Christ is in your life, if you've been connected to him by faith, then you're forgiven. He, he's wiped them away. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. It's done. How do we know it's done? Because Jesus said it's done. And Jesus does what he says he could do. couple more things here. Real quick, real quick, real quick things. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, ready? He says here, their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, there, there is plural. Now, now he speaks to the paralytic guy. And, and I, I really believe, you know, it wasn't, this guy had faith on the mat, okay? I, I don't think he was up there on the roof saying, guys, just take me home. Just take me home. Now, don't do this. This is scary. I mean, I think he was in. I think this guy's saying, Brothers, get me to Jesus. Whatever you got to do. Well, can we, can we put you through the hole in the roof? Go ahead. You know, I'm, I think he's in. Okay, but, but it's interesting that Jesus says their faith. Now, now here, here's what's true. We, we cannot save somebody else through our own faith. But I, I'd love if, if we could. I'd love if I could have faith for Haven. You know, if I could have faith for Avery. If I could have faith for my, my, my friends, my neighbors. But Psalm 49 verse 7 says, Truly no man can ransom another. Or give to God the price of his life. We can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But here's what's also true. My living out my faith. Jesus uses that to bring other people to himself. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool that, that as we live out our faith. That, that affects in a real way. It did here. It affects in a real way. Other people's spiritual lives. Man what, what, a, what a powerful thing. To be able to impact your family by your own faith. I always tell people that say, what, what can I do to win my, my, my kids to Jesus? What can I do to win my friends? First of all, man, live it out. You know, live out your faith. Live it out in a practical way. Let them see in you a single-minded pursuit of Jesus that is relentless and immediate and urgent. Let them see that in you. And God will use that to bring our people to Christ. You know, let me just close with this. I, what, I, what I like to do sometimes in my mind is I'll lay out what I think the Bible's saying. Then I'll think about what's the opposite of that. You know what I mean? What, what if you're here today and, and you say, well, I'm a person of faith. You say that anyway, but, but you look at your life and, and, man, you have one of those lives that you start following Jesus. And then the smallest obstacle, there's a pebble in the road, throws you off, you know. You're a start stopper, start stopper, start stopper, you know. You, you start to go on for Jesus and, and then you're off. And, and there's an obstacle and it throws you off. And, and you stop going to church and you stop going to small group and you stop, you know, whatever little, you stop reading your Bible, you stop, you, you're a stopper. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what I'm liable to do on that. I'm liable to blame everybody else. Man, have you noticed how everything's everybody else's fault? I mean, that, that's what I'm liable to do. But you, you know what I see from the passage? If, if, if the manifestation of faith produces a relentless pursuit of Jesus that is immediate and urgent, I see that when I'm not pursuing Jesus, 
relentlessly, that probably means there's a faith problem, right? Now, when I say faith problem, I'm not assuming that there's no faith. I'm just saying I may be like the disciples. Remember that, that time where the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith, right? Give me more, God. I need to trust you more. Maybe that's the issue, isn't it? Maybe the issue is my faith needs to be bigger. I need to trust Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I need to put my dependence upon him in a greater way that will bring me to pursue him relentlessly. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for uh, these five guys, God. They're some of my favorite guys in the Bible. Lord, I, I just thank you, Father, for their example of not quitting and just being persistent to get to you. And God, I pray that you would give us faithful persistence in, in the scriptures, in prayer, in worship, in bringing people to Christ, in, in obedience to your word, in putting down sin. God, I pray that we'd be relentless in all of those things. And Jesus, we know that our biggest, our biggest challenge in life is sin. And our biggest victory is drawing close to you. And so, Lord, give us that kind of heart. Give us that kind of spirit. And, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.